You're listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For other resources, more information about this sermon series, or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. Please stand for the reading of today's word. Uh, My name is Brian. I'll be reading from Matthew 13, 44 to 46. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks, Brian. All right, let's pray and dig into this together. Our God, we come before you as people who are searching, people who are looking for something and desperately needing to find what it is that you have for us. And we pray that today you would give each person here ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to receive exactly that from you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I want to start with a little bit of a, just a a processing what we're going to dig into today with the questions. So the question is, what do the following people have in common? Okay. What do the following people have in common? You're with me, Shan. Here we go. Okay. Okay. First person. Person uh, on a beach. Maybe they're down at Alki with a metal detector. Okay. First person. Second person. Someone uh, in a tent city under a bridge looking to get high. Third person. Investors working to get their money to work for them. Fourth person, serial adulterer starting another fling. Fifth person, someone wrapping up their residency in medical school after 12 years of higher education. Fifth person, Social media influencer posting a video of themselves eating breakfast. Okay, you guys are like, what in the world are we doing here? Last one, an agnostic religious studies professor. Okay, what do all of these people have in common? (laughs) That's true too. (laughs) And in a sense, that's related. Um, But what I'd like to point out about them is that they are all looking for something. They're all looking for something. They're all on the hunt for something that they believe that in their hearts that is going to provide them with some sense of joy, something that they believe is in the end going to be worth it. And what I'd like to point out is that we all experience this. This is central to the human experience, whether for good or for evil, we are all looking for something. 
And so I wonder what, what it is that you are searching for. And if you found it, what would it be worth to you? You might be dreaming of a new career or dreaming of getting out of debt or starting a family, thinking about that on Father's Day. You might be dreaming to be one day cancer-free or depression-free or to become a homeowner or to graduate, right, finally at the end of this long Seattle school season. You might be dreaming of a time where you might be at peace in your relationships. I was talking to a father who's estranged from his children earlier. Why do we do this? Why do we search? The answer is because we believe that these things are going to bring us joy. And what if I told you that there was something that was more valuable than all of those things that I just listed off, and that the joy of finding it would actually surpass every other joy that you have ever experienced. What would you give for that? What would you give for that? See, the kingdom of heaven will cost us everything, but it's worth any cost. That's the paradox that we're going to be exploring today, that, that the kingdom of heaven is the most costly purchase you will ever make, but it is also worth any cost. So let's look at these two parables now, beginning with the first one, the parable of the hidden treasure. In verse 44, it said, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. You know, if Jesus were standing here right in front of us today, I imagine we'd all have a long list of questions to ask him. In fact, I've got my own that I've been compiling that I plan on asking him when I see him face to face. But we might ask him a question today like, Jesus, what's it like when you're the king of the world? Jesus, what's it like when you rule over everything? And if that were our question, this would be one of his answers. He would say, it's like a guy who's in this field, and, and we don't actually know what this guy's doing there. I mean, maybe he's working. I imagine he's, he must be digging a hole or something. Maybe he's planting a tree, right? And he happens upon this treasure. And I think it's easiest for me anyway, and maybe for those of you who are children of the 80s, to imagine him stumbling upon the rich stuff in Goonies. Anybody remember that movie? Okay. <laughs> but, but basically, it, it's the classic hidden treasure, right? A giant wooden chest full of jewels and gold coins just pouring out of it because there's so much. Now, we aren't given that level of detail, so we don't know exactly what this uh, treasure is that's been hidden. But whatever he finds, it's clear that this is the most incredible thing that he's ever seen. He covers it back up, right? And he goes and he sells everything else that he owns so that he can come back and buy that field. Now, it's worth pointing out, uh, the ethics of this situation is not really what the main point is that Jesus is trying to get at, okay? I couldn't believe it this week as I was looking through commentaries on this passage in Scripture. I was, uh, I was struck by how many of them focused how much of their attention on this issue. Almost everybody was like, 
yeah, we need to talk about these, the ethics of this. And, you know, back in Jesus' day, there were rabbis who had a code of ethics regarding found objects, and this would have been considered ethical and blah, 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 blah. They didn't, these rabbis wouldn't have seen this as insider trading, which I kind of look at it like. It's kind of like, here's a guy who's, you know, he's, he's buying and selling things based on undisclosed information. It kind of feels like insider trading. Well, all the time that the commentator spent on this issue was funny to me because I, I think that Jesus is trying to make a different point. That's not really the main point. What point was he making? It was about the value of the treasure. See, for this man, it, it wasn't even a question of like balancing the scales and, and looking and going, hmm, is this, is this treasure in fact more valuable than all the stuff that I had? No, it, it's completely undeniable to him immediately he recognizes, after he sees this treasure, he recognizes its value. And it says, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. I get the, I get the sense that he is so delighted in what he found. He is so full of that joy that he just runs and, and goes and sells off everything he has as quickly as he possibly could. Joy will do that to you. I wonder if you've ever known that kind of joy that's just kind of overwhelming. We'll come back to that in a bit. But first, let's look at the other parable. Jesus tells a very similar story in it, verses 45 and 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Okay, very similar story, but, but it is a little bit different from the previous one. The main difference is that in this case, the guy doesn't stumble upon treasure, and he's not you know, a field worker. He's a merchant, and he seems to have this goal in life to find the finest pearls. He actually goes searching for it. He already knows something of what he's looking for. He knows something of its value. In fact, he knows a good pearl when he sees one, which makes this one pearl that he finds all the more precious to him, right? And note that it's only one pearl, not many. And he takes all of the other pearls that he's ever owned, and he sells them. Perhaps he even sells his merchant ship. He sells Literally everything. Why? Because he has searched and searched and searched, and he's finally found what he was looking for. Unlike you two who still hasn't found what they're looking for. I kept thinking about that, this, that song this week. I was like, man, you guys are Christians. Have you really not found what you're looking for? I don't know. But this guy finally found what he was looking for. So what's the point of these two parables one commentator says that both of these parables stress the incalculable value of the kingdom, that it is worth any sacrifice, okay? So it is worth any sacrifice, but both stress the cost of gaining it. It will cost all that we have. And so I want to spend the rest of our time looking at these two parts. But first I want to start by looking at the fact that it will cost all that we have. The kingdom of heaven is costly. Now, you might be wondering what exactly it might cost. The two parables show these guys paying th through all of their material 
possessions. Now, for, for those of us who are on this side of the Reformation, we have the joy of knowing that penance and buying indulgences and all those things are really just man-made concepts. They're not God-made concepts. Praise the Lord. We don't have to pay money to enter the kingdom of heaven. Can, can I get an amen? amen? Praise God. But is Jesus saying that all his disciples have to sell everything that they own? Is that what he's trying to get at? Now, some ask that question, and they, and they begin to look at the New Testament church, and they begin to wonder, looking at, say, a passage like we checked out on Pentecost a few weeks ago, Acts 2, where it says, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. This is awesome, isn't it? This is, this is a picture, a foretaste of the kingdom of heaven. This kind of community, this kind of interdependence that the church had, giving what you have for the good of others is upside down from the way of the world. And it's very much, sim, uh, uh, not symbol, but a, a pre, uh, what am I thinking? What word am I thinking of here? It's a, a sign of the kingdom of heaven. But is Jesus saying that all of his disciples have to sell everything that they own? Might keep looking at other passages in Scripture. Might I've heard a lot of people go to the story of the rich young ruler. Later on in Matthew's gospel, this, this wealthy politician comes to Jesus and he asks him how he can inherit eternal life. And Jesus asks him back, he says, well, have you kept all the Ten Commandments? And the guy says, well, yeah, of course I have. Jesus says, okay, well, then Matthew 19, uh, what is it, 21 and 22, he says, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. The point is that this guy has something that he's withholding. There's something that he has that he values more than the kingdom of heaven. He treasures his stuff, which will rot, which will decay. And rather than give it up, he's saying, I would rather rot and decay along with it. It's a very strong warning that Jesus gives us here with this story, but it's not Jesus' blanket command to all Christians for all time to go and sell everything that we have. We should take it seriously that we can't treasure stuff more than the kingdom, but that doesn't mean that having stuff is inherently bad or wrong. We have to wisely discern by the Holy Spirit's power and presence and guidance. We have to, we have to navigate, okay, how, Lord, do you want me to steward the things that you've given to me? Because ultimately, they are from you. So if that's the case, in what way is the kingdom of heaven costly? If it's not just a matter of we have to give up all of our material possessions. I'm guessing for each Christian in this room, your faith has cost you something. I'm guessing every person here has given up something at some point. You, you may have given up things that you thought at one point in your life were absolutely precious to you. 
For example, we all enter the kingdom of heaven through repentance. So the first thing that you gave up was being the Lord of your life, right? Which, of course, included giving up certain sins. But many of you have given up more than your own vices. Maybe there were previous identities, ways that you defined yourself and found meaning in life that you had to give up in order to take on this far greater and more wonderful identity of being in Christ. Maybe you had to give up previous relationships. We've talked a lot over the last few weeks about what it looks like to have to give up family in order to follow Christ at times. Maybe you've given up your reputation. Maybe you've given up popularity or friendships. Maybe some of you have had to give up business. The kingdom of heaven will literally cost you everything, including the most expensive and most valuable thing that you possess. What is that? It's your life. Jesus says, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And so the kingdom of heaven, friends, will cost you everything. There is no greater sacrifice. There is no greater expense. Forget your car loan. Forget the tens of thousands of dollars you spent on college. Forget that Seattle-sized mortgage that you have. You're like, I'd like to try to forget those things. Uh, But don't actually forget those. You might wonder at times when when you give up all of these things for the sake of the kingdom, you might wonder, is this worth it? Was this worth it? In fact, you might have people around you, maybe non-Christians, observing your life and asking the question, is it worth it? I wonder, Christian, how you would answer. See, the people in these parables, they thought it was worth it. In fact, they had no hesitation in selling everything that they could. But remember, the point of the parables was not just that the kingdom will cost us everything that we have. The other side to that same coin was that the kingdom of heaven is worth any cost. Now, why would Jesus tell us this? Why would he tell us that the kingdom of heaven is worth any cost? And the answer I would give is because we are crazy enough to believe that there's something of greater value out there than knowing God. We are just that crazy. We need to be shown and reminded repeatedly that there's nothing greater than dwelling with God in His kingdom. And we might say, okay, well, if that's true, if it's truly worth any cost, how is it that we're that crazy to forget? And one reason I would give is that in our culture, we're told constantly probably way more frequently than given this message, we're being constantly told to go in search of a different treasure. Our culture tells us that the search for joy is not a quest outward, but often a quest that goes inward. We've been told that the greatest treasure is to be found inside of us. I was recently watching some clips of the earliest auditions from this round of American Idol on YouTube, 
And I, I gotta be honest, I hate American Idol. I, I uh, hated it since it came out whenever that was, like 20 years ago now. Can you guys believe that? It's that old. Um, and, and yet this year I stumbled on uh, some of the clips from the auditions and I kind of got hooked. And I, <laughs> I'll be honest, I watched almost all of them. And I was shocked to see that one of them was somebody singing this song by Whitney Houston. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't whatever that other one is, that Dolly Parton song that she's famous for. Uh, help me out here. Anybody? What? I Will Always Love You. Yeah, not that one, but that other one. Uh, the song that goes, Because the greatest love of all is happening to me. Right? You guys know the song? Anybody? I couldn't believe that this person was singing that song on American Idol today. I thought that was kind of weird. And it made me think about what th those lyrics, what does it say is the greatest love of all? You guys know? It says that the greatest love of all is not needing anyone or anything else but finding meaning and purpose in loving myself. Is that the greatest treasure in this world? Is that the greatest thing that we can find? Is that worth giving everything up for? Jesus says no. Jesus says that what is worth any sacrifice is something that is outside not inside of ourselves. And that is what we are actually searching for. That is what we actually need. John Piper, I think, illustrates this well. He says, no one goes to the Grand Canyon to increase self-esteem. <laughs> That's a weird sentence. It's one of my favorite Piper quotes. Why do we go? Because there is greater healing for the soul in beholding splendor than there is in beholding self. Indeed, what could be more ludicrous in a vast and glorious universe like this than a human being on the speck called earth standing in front of a mirror trying to find significance in his own self-image? I wonder how many of us have tried to find significance in our own self-image. You might have gone down that rabbit hole searching and searching for treasure inside of yourself, only to realize that you keep coming up empty over and over and over. And so all of us, while we have this inward quest at some point in our lives, and it's the most common one in our culture, all of us still continue the search outward. We still continue to look for something that is worth any cost, something that is worth our lives outwardly and the problem is is that merely searching outwardly doesn't necessarily lead us to the most valuable treasure either in fact it can be just as harmful as trying to find it inside of us searching for ultimate joy and ultimate delight in something outside of us is actually the mo of the human heart it's something that's been going on since the garden we see in Genesis 3, 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. We have all done this. We have all done this. Have you searched all the world 
for something that is worthy of all that you have. Friend, if you haven't found the kingdom, you've come up short. Selling your whole life for sports or your work or your family, selling your whole life for your own sexual gratification, selling your whole life for food or for drink or some other spiritual experience. And what's interesting is that some people actually stumble on the kingdom of heaven this way. This is how gracious our God is. He allows us to search and to search and to search and to look in all of these places besides himself until we find Yeah, things that are good sometimes, things that are beautiful, because God made good and beautiful things. But till we find that that these things are smaller pearls, till we realize that these things are lesser glories, find a little bit of wisdom over here, find a little bit of pleasure over there. But what we also find is that all of these things come up short until you encounter Jesus and the beauty and the wonder of his heavenly reign until you realize that to give up everything in order to gain everything is actually a pretty small price to pay. See, in this parable, we saw that the field worker sells all that he has and the merchant sold all that he had, everything. And at first, that seems to us to be a pretty great sacrifice. And in one sense, it is, but, but here's the thing. The kingdom of heaven is upside down, and, and when you put it into perspective, these things, these sacrifices are not even comparable because these guys sold their stuff out of their own self-interest. They found something greater that they wanted. In their joy, it said, they went out and bought something far greater. And so here's... Here's an illustration to to make sense out of this. Let's do some math, okay? A few weeks ago, I did math for the first time in one of my sermons. I was trying to copy Bill because he did one when he did it. And uh, you guys have got a feel for what level of math I'm I'm comfortable with, and this one will be another one of those. So think about this with me for just a minute. If you took $100,000 and you went out and you bought a field... That would be a great sacrifice, right? Yes? Amen? But if in that field there was hidden treasure that was worth $100 billion, you wouldn't call that a sacrifice, would you? Sure, it, it definitely did cost you something, but what you got was incomparable. Yes? Amen? So... $100,000 is less than $100 billion. That's my math. You guys with me? Okay. And so you might be thinking to yourself this whole time, okay, if the kingdom of heaven is worth any cost, how is it worth any cost? In what way are we talking about? What is it that we actually get if it's the equivalent here to the $100 billion analogy? What is so valuable about the kingdom of heaven? What do we actually gain? Now, to answer that question, we have to know 
something of what the kingdom of heaven even is. Sometimes we've been talking about it throughout this series. Jesus says it more than any other phrase in Matthew's gospel. We've heard it a lot, and it feels a little bit vague to us, like, Jesus, can you just give us a straight, straightforward definition of what the kingdom of heaven is? Well, he never does that. The Bible never does that. But Graham Goldsworthy does, so we're going to look at Graham Goldsworthy's definition. I think is very helpful. He says, the kingdom of heaven is God's people in God's place under God's rule. This, friends, Jesus is saying is the greatest treasure. God's people in God's place under God's rule. I like this definition. I think Graham Goldsworthy is correct. And so if we take what he says, we could define that then and say, in the kingdom of heaven, we get to be God's people. Amen? We get to be the church. We get to be with God. That's incredible. In the kingdom of heaven, we get to be in God's place, which is heaven on earth. We get to experience a little of that today and all of that in full in the future. In the kingdom of heaven, we get to be under God's rule. We get to experience all of his wisdom and his righteousness and his justice and his power. God making all things right. God making all things new. This is life in the kingdom of heaven. And if you're not a Christian, and you're with us today, you, you might be like, well, that sounds great. Getting to be with God and His people, getting to experience heaven on earth, getting to experience God's rule here on earth. We get to dwell with the God who made us. We get to flourish in His abundant life. We get to experience the greatest joy the world has ever known. Yeah, it's great. But if you're a skeptic, you might think, oh, that sounds too good to be true. How, how long does this last? I mean, all good things come to an end, right? Wrong. Wrong. Getting to be with God and His people in God's place under His rule is something we get to experience forever. Forever. Eternal life with God, friends. And you see, this is just simply part of how the kingdom of heaven works. If entering the kingdom of heaven costs us our temporal life and yet we gain eternal life, we are merely following in the footsteps of our king. This sacrifice and yet great value is the way that the kingdom of heaven works. In order to come save us, King Jesus laid aside sacrificed his rights as the eternal son of God and he took on human flesh. The God who deserves all glory, all honor, all power came in humility and shame and in the weakness of our humanity. And as though that wasn't costly enough, he eventually laid down his own life for us. Romans 8.32 says that God the Father did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Why? Because he determined that the cost was worth it. He determined that the cost 
was worth it. That Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, Hebrews 12 tells us, the joy of rescuing us, the joy of, of inheriting his most prized possession, all of humanity, he endured the cross. And so on this Father's Day, friends, God, our perfect, loving Father, declares to us, I have given everything in order to gain you. Is that baffling? I've given everything in order to gain you. Isn't that beautiful? And it shows us that it's worth giving everything we have in order to gain him. Let's pray, and we'll respond to God together. Heavenly Father, as we recognize the weight of what you have done, it tips the scales, God. It shows us the value of the kingdom of heaven in knowing what you have done for us. And while we are baffled, while we are astounded, we are also captivated by the beauty of what you've accomplished through Jesus Christ in sacrificing everything but winning us into your family. Thank you, Father, for what you've done. And we pray now that we would respond appropriately. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For more information about our services or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. Thanks for listening.